We shall turn now to the Word of God, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 11. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11, we may read some verses to refresh our memories. From verse 1, there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing by, before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and in half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth, and so on. May the Lord bless again this reading of his word. Last Lord's Day, we uh, drew attention to the great contest that was to take place uh, between the glorified, exalted, enthroned Christ and the enthroned, exalted beast that received power from Satan. This deadly conflict is that which, no doubt, John, uh, when he understood it, he would feel for the people of God, knowing what indeed was in store for them. But, as we said, this book is written to encourage the people of God, to encourage the Church of Christ, and uh, it is to be read in order to be blessed by it. Reading it uh, produces a blessing, and that would indicate indeed that However difficult some may consider the book to be, 
that it cannot be all that terribly difficult, there is a blessing even for those who read it. For this uh, book, as we said, was to be written to the seven churches in Asia. It was to be sent to them. But also, uh, the messages constantly emphasized, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the message has a universal application for the whole church throughout its history in this world. Now in this chapter, as we've, uh, chapter 11, we've noted, it is between the uh, woes, between the uh, second and the third woes, this interlude, and uh, John is hearing then and uh, seeing things that are going to take place while other things are taking place that he has noted earlier. And here you can see the evidence, John records it, he's seeing evidence of a fearful apostasy from the truth and a fearful conflict against the truth and indeed for the truth. And in this chapter here, attention is drawn to two witnesses who are witnessing as the beast that is empowered from hell itself opposes them and seeks to destroy the witness on the side of truth. Now, uh, most of those who ever commentate upon the book of the Revelation will say that this chapter is one of, it is probably the most difficult chapter to interpret and to understand. Now, some of these difficulties arise from the particular school of interpretation when men endeavor to fit what they read into their own ideas and seek to confirm their own opinions with what they see written. And the identity of these two witnesses very often, there's, all, there's dozens of interpretations. Some will say, well, these two witnesses, that happens to be Moses and Elijah. Some say it's, uh, it is uh, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Some will say it's the Old Testament and the New Testament or it's the old dispensation and the new dispensation of the gospel. And some will say the witnesses are uh, Elijah and uh, Enoch and uh, so on. There are all these different interpretations. And they, they actually depend upon the school of interpretation that one belongs to. Whether one is a preterist or a futurist or a historicist, 
Man will seek then to interpret what they read to fit in with their particular school of thought. As you've heard me again and again stress, and I refuse to move from it, Scripture interprets Scripture. And John understood what he was seeing to the degree that he did because of his familiarity with the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And here, whenever we read, for example, in verse 3 of this chapter, I will give power unto my two witnesses. Well, would John have absolutely no idea? Could you identify these two witnesses? I have no idea who they could possibly be. You'll see that there are no names attached to these witnesses anywhere. I will give power unto my two witnesses. And then he goes on to describe them further. There are four things said about them. Verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses. They are my witnesses. Then, in the verse 4, these are the two olive trees. Two witnesses, two olive trees, and two candlesticks. Then you go down to verse 10, and what do we read? They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So look at what we have, these four descriptions. They are witnesses. They are two olive, they're two witnesses. They are two olive trees. They are two candlesticks. And they are two prophets. Now immediately, once we read these things, what are we faced with? We are faced with the fact that The language is the language of symbolism. To olive trees, they must symbolize something in keeping with the rest of the book. To candlesticks, they must typify or symbolize something or someone or some party in keeping with the rest of the book of Revelation. So, we are not necessarily at all looking for two particular individuals. We may find that there are two individuals who symbolize the same things that these symbolize here. John then when he uh, hears the mighty angel saying to him that the Gentiles are going to tread down 
the holy city. The church is represented the holy city. That's where the God of Israel was worshipped. That is what John would know. It represented the church, the worship of Jehovah. The Gentiles, the heathen, are going to trample on the church. They are going to despise it. They are going to seek to corrupt it and destroy it. But he says, I will give power. That word power isn't in the original, by the way. I will give my two witnesses. This will be my giving to sustain a witness even in the midst of all this. I will strengthen them, I will uphold them, but I will give them to be a witness in the midst of the darkness. Now, what does, he, what does John hear him say? They are my witnesses. They are witnessing on my behalf. They are witnessing on my side. Now go back down to verse 10 just for a moment. They that, well, we may uh, go back up to verse 7 to get the connection. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, against the witnesses, and shall overcome them and kill them and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually, the great city, which spiritually, its condition is brought before us, is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So that immediately John is aware of a fearful apostasy. The Lord, where was he crucified? John would know that. John was a witness. John had received instructions from the cross to take Jesus' mother and to care for her. He knew where Jesus was crucified. And he is here told that that city, spiritually, geographically, it is one thing. Materially, it is something different. But spiritually, it is as Sodom and as Egypt, persecuting the church as Egypt persecuted and afflicted the Lord's people like Sodom and Gomorrah, immoral, bringing the judgments of heaven down upon it. Now, John, you must understand uh, the world in which he lived. And he is here aware that when these are witnessing, it is a dark day. But what happens, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and in half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. 
And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because here's the reason for their hatred, here's the reason for their opposition, and here now is the reason for their merriment. Because these two prophets, they are witnesses, They are two olive trees. They are two candlesticks. But they are two prophets. And it is what they prophesy that causes this animosity, this hatred of them, tormented them that dwell in the earth. It is a prophetic witness, a witness by which Like the prophets in the Old Testament, they brought the mind of God to the people. They declare the word of God, the mind of God. And that is what the people don't want. That torments them. There is nothing that annoys them more. There is nothing that offends them and grieves them more. The gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe it still remains to the Jewish stumbling block and to the Greek foolishness. So what we keep in mind is this. The reason for the death of these witnesses is the message that they're proclaiming their prophetic declaration of God's word. It isn't because of their persons. It isn't because of their qualities or lack of them. It is because they prophesied. So the emphasis here is not so much on the identity of the persons as their ministry, their prophesying, their witness on the side of Christ through the declaration of truth. So we need to keep that in mind. Just by the way, when we read from that Psalm 97, if we go back to it just for a moment, in Psalm 97, uh, you have... There, uh, or I should say Psalm 79, Psalm 79, you imagine the scene here in Revelation 11, John's mind is working, he's thinking about what he's seeing, he's thinking about what the angel is disclosing to him. Where will his mind be? His mind automatically is going to the scriptures. And he's thinking, here's a scene. The dead bodies of the witnesses for Christ, they're left out there unburied and discarded, and there's a rejoicing over them. Now, one of the things that's going to be significant to John is the fact 
This is a repetition of something that has happened before. This is not a new thing. What do we read and say? You can imagine the saints looking in this scene, the godly. What are they going? They stand, let's encourage one another. Let's turn to the Psalms. Let's sing a psalm. What are they singing as they see this scene? O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. The holy temple of the defiled, they have led Jerusalem on heaps, just like in Revelation 11 and 2. The the Gentiles and the holy city have they trodden underfoot. Then, verse 2, the dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, as scorn and derision to them that are round about us, and so on. Now you can see how Scripture does interpret Scripture. And if John is seeing this scene, he's thinking, what does it all mean? One thing is certain in his mind. This is not a new experience for the church. This is not a new experience for Christ's witnesses, for those who witness on the side of truth. This is not a new experience. This is something that has happened before, and this is something that is happening again, because nothing has changed. You go back uh, to the very beginning, what do we have? The two seeds, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, in deadly conflict. Now going back then to these witnesses, the hostility toward them, how are we to understand them? Are we looking for two literal persons? Or are we looking for the source of this witness and this uh, prophesying, declaring of the word of God that is uh, stirring the hatred of the enemies of God and his cause. What does the mighty angel say to John, verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses. And there are a number of things that we may note regarding the significance of two. The numbers, as we've said before, you go through the book of the Revelation Numbers are repeated seven over and over again, three, five, twelve, and so on. Two also has its significance and would have had very much so in the mind of John and in the mind of those to whom he would write. These, verse four, these are... The two olive trees. Now if 
If the mighty angel had said to John, these are two olive trees, there would have been a mystery about that, wouldn't there? That's not what he said. These are the two olive trees. And John would say to himself, now what two olive trees? The two olive trees, where are they? And there's only one place he can go to find them, back to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Zechariah, as we said last week. So we shall turn to it, Zechariah chapter 4. And there we have an angel talking with uh, Zechariah. And it is to be noted when we go back to the first chapter of this a prophecy when he had these visions. Verse 7 of chapter 1, upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, I saw by night. It was in the night, in the darkness of the night, that he was given these spiritual insights. And you will see that Zechariah is determined to understand what he sees. Question after question he asked, to be sure. Verse 9 of chapter 1 Then said I, O Lord, what are these? Verse 19 of the same chapter 1, And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? Verse 21, Then said I, What came these to do? Verse 2 of chapter 2, Then said I, Whither goest thou? And when we come to chapter For he asked three more questions, and then in chapter 5, chapter 6, he keeps asking questions because he wants to know what the real meaning behind the symbolism is. And in this chapter 4, we read in verse 4, Zechariah said, he answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Now, the angel seemed surprised that Zechariah would ask that question. Then the angel, verse 5, that talked with me, answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? It was as though the angel was certain, Zachariah, you must know what these be. You surely must understand something about what you're seeing. I said, No, my Lord, I don't know. Because you see, What Zechariah sees is something that is different to what 
he understood previously and what he understood from the tabernacle and from the temple, the scene is more developed. It's as it were conveying more developed and more completed truth. Now, when the angel then tells Zechariah what it means, you go down to verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees? Where do we go then to discover the meaning of John's two olive trees? Zechariah asked the question so that John would know. And so that you and I would know. He asked the angel. He didn't depend on his own opinions and try to figure it out himself. Well, it must mean this or it must mean that. He asked, what are these two olive trees? Upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof. Not content... He actually asks it again. Verse 12. And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? Explain that to me. That's what Zechariah was saying. Now why does he ask this? Because... When he sees the two olive trees, and that's what he's been asked to make sure he is seeing it, go back up to verse 2, the angel talked with me, said to me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked. And behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and a seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. Now note the difference in the description here between this golden lamp and the menorah in the tabernacle or in the temple. It is a much more sophisticated golden lampstand, and that was certainly one of the things that caused Zechariah to ask, well, what's the meaning of this? If it was just the same lampstand that was in the tabernacle or that was in the temple, well, I would understand what it means, but this is different. This has changed. The design is different. And it has seven pipes pouring in oil into it continually from these two olive trees. John had never seen that in the tabernacle. He'd never seen that in the temple. Neither had Zechariah. Now, What does the angel say to Zechariah? 
Verse 5. The angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord. That's the first thing. This is the word of the Lord. Through these symbols, God is speaking. Through these symbols, God is conveying a message. And through these symbols, Zechariah, he's not just conveying a message to you, but he's conveying a particular message to Zerubbabel who was the governor, you go back to the book of Ezra, he was the governor that came back with the captives from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and so on. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's what these symbols are saying, Zechariah. The whole message in these pictures is simple. That God says, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And then the message continues. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and so on. So the symbols are meant to convey a message from God. Now when we hear in chapter 11 of the book of the Revelation, the angel saying to John, these two witnesses are the two olive trees. They're the two olive trees that were shown to Zechariah. And they are conveying to you, John, the same kind of message that they were conveying to Zechariah and to Zerubbabel. But then you will see, in spite of this explanation, there's something still puzzling Zechariah. Then answered I and said unto him, And he obviously accepted the message. He obviously then understands, yes, this whole scene is conveying a message. But these two olive trees, I can understand the candlestick as being a source of light. And I can understand that it is being kept alight and the uh, light is preserved as these olive trees 
are pouring in the oil. But Zechariah knows these can't be ordinary olive trees. What is then the significance of them? What be these two olive trees? These two witnesses? These two candlesticks? These two prophets? Because you can't separate one from the other. You can't say, well, John, forget about the witnesses. Forget about the candlesticks. Forget about the prophets. Just concentrate on the olive trees. They are all combined. They are all one whole. They are all conveying one real message. They are different aspects of one divine truth. Now, verse 12 then, Zacharias answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? Now, in order to understand that, we need to go where John would go, where Zechariah would go. Where would Zechariah go? John would go back to Zechariah. Where would Zechariah go? Wouldn't he go back to the law? Where does he get his information about the candlestick from? Where does he get his information about the oil that feeds the candlestick to keep the lights burning? If you go back to the book of Exodus, you will see there, uh, there are several references, but just for the sake of time, there's uh, chapter 27. And look at verse 20 of Exodus 27. Thou shalt command, this is Moses, what he's told to do, the children of Israel, that they bring the pure oil olive beaten for the light. Now that's significant, not for the seven lights. The light, although there might be seven wicks, there's one light. Bring the oil for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony. Now in case you're wondering where this uh, lampstand is, you have to understand in the tabernacle, there was the outer court, and then there was within it the tent that contained two compartments. There was the holy place and a veil between it and the holy of holies. Now, in the holy place, before the Lord, because the Lord dwelt behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. The Shekinah light, the Shekinah glory of God was hidden in the darkness of the Holy of Holies. But outside it, on the left-hand side, was the golden candlestick, the menorah. On the right-hand side, 
was the table of showbread with the twelve loaves that were to be changed weekly. Now, both of these, we are told, were before the Lord. They had a significance, as we shall see. But, in order for the lamp to keep burning, oil, pure oil of olive, had to be brought to replenish the lamp by the people. If you go over with me to Leviticus, to the uh, chapter 24, you will see there in Leviticus, <coughs> the verses 1 to 4, the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. Now immediately, can't you see what Zechariah's problem is? What are these two olive trees? Because there were no olive trees in the tabernacle. The people were told they had to bring the oil. They were told to bring pure oil to replenish the lamp, to keep the light burning before the Lord. The light was before the Lord. And the table of showbread was before the Lord. Verse 3 of chapter 24, Leviticus, without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall Aaron order it from the evening unto the morning, before the Lord continues. See the emphasis on the fact it was before the Lord. He shall, verse 4, order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. Now what did the angel tell Zechariah whenever he asked about these Two olive trees. What does uh, the angel tell Zechariah? Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. He answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth, or it can be stand before the Lord of the whole earth. So now you can see the mind of Zechariah, beginning to understand it now. Ah, yes, the candlestick. The light is a perpetual light, but uh, the Apostle John saw in Revelation 11 two candlesticks, not one, but two. Zechariah sees one candlestick, but it is different. It has twice the light and more. And remember this, that when the veil was rent 
from top to bottom when Christ cried out, it is finished, the veil was rent, there was no separation now between the holy place and the most holy. And the Shekinah glory, the light of the Shekinah glory within the holy of holies now outshines the candelabra, the menorah light that was in the holy place. And here is in the Old Testament the beginning of all this. Before the Lord there is this uh, candlestick and before the Lord there is this table of showbread. Now what's the connection between them? If you uh, go with me to Exodus chapter 25, you will see there in verse 31, uh, the previous part of the chapter from verse 23, Thou shalt make a table of shittim wood, and so on, and the description is given, the measurements of the table, the purpose of the table, and there were to be twelve loaves of bread on that table. Now in verse 31, Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. The shaft and the branches, as bowls, as knobs, and as flowers, shall be of the sea. Notice what the candlestick is like. It is all of beaten gold. But... Its bowls, its knobs, its flowers are made, verse 33, like almonds in the other branch and so on. So it was designed to look like an almond tree giving light. It was intended to be a light bearing implement an article in the uh, tabernacle. But what's the purpose of its light? Verse uh, 37, Thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the seven, they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give Light over against it. That they may give light over against it. Now what did we say? On this side as you approach the Holy of Holies, you have the lamp. On the other side, you have the table of the showbread. What is the purpose of the light? We are told that it may give light over against the table of showbread. Here before the Lord are two witnesses to light and life. Light from the candlestick, life from the loaves of bread. But the candlestick, remember, is the light that focuses and exposes 
and makes known the bread of life. Remember, it's dark in here, in the holy place. This is the light that then shines over against the table of showbread and the bread. Now, in the chapter 26, uh, well, we've already noted verse uh, 35, uh, there shall be a knob under two branches of the same and a knob under two branches of the same and so on. Now, when Zechariah sees the candlestick, the design is different. And so it seems there's been an advancement. It is showing even greater light. What is then Zechariah to understand? There are various other uh, portions. Uh, uh, perhaps it would be useful just to look at a couple of uh, chapter 25 and Exodus uh, for the purpose of the light. Exodus chapter 25 and verse uh, 37 over against the bread. But then go over with me, if you will, to Numbers uh, chapter 8. And you will see there it has another purpose. Verse 1 of Numbers 8. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. So it was to, it had this twofold purpose. To give light over onto the showbread and to shed light upon its own beauty and its own glory. This was the twofold purpose of that light before the Lord. Now, when we come to uh, the prophecy of Zechariah, and he is here seeing this uh, candlestick, and he's naturally going to ask, well, what's the meaning of these two olive trees then? These are the two anointed ones that stand before the Lord of all the earth. They are also in John's vision, the two witnesses, they are two candlesticks and they are two prophets. These two here in Zechariah that are the witnesses in the dark days when the uh, Judean children of Judah returned to Jerusalem. They're meeting with opposition. Every attempt is made to stop them building Jerusalem again, restoring its glory, and so on. There are two persons mentioned here in the prophecy of Zechariah. Two witnesses. The witness is Zerubbabel, Mentioned in chapter 4. But when we go back to chapter 3, what do we read? He showed me Joshua, the high priest. 
Now, without going into it for the sake of time, you go back to the Old Testament, to the uh, Pentateuch, and the priest was one who stood before the Lord. The priest stood before the Lord. And here's Joshua, or Jeshua in the New Testament, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. So we have here, in the prophecy of Zechariah, two persons named who are witnesses at the recovery and restoration of Jerusalem and the temple. Now, what do they represent? Or who do they represent? Joshua, the high priest. Zerubbabel, the governor. Go back to Ezra and that's what you will find. That's their positions. What do they represent then? They represent what was to be fulfilled in one person. This is one of the things in the Old Testament. We need so many figures and so many symbols sometimes combined together to give us a full picture of the one who was to fulfill all that was written where? In the law and in the prophets. What did Jesus say in Matthew? He came what to do? Not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. He came to fulfill. So the only way we can understand so many of these things is by looking to see how they're fulfilled. They are not the end in themselves. They are not the conclusion of the matter. They are pointing us forward to someone else, to the one who would fulfill, the one who would be all these things. He would be the golden candlestick saying, I am the light of the world. He that uh, uh, comes to me shall not walk in darkness. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. So here's these two witnesses in the holy place. They're only types. They're only symbols. But the great antitype, Christ himself, he'll fulfill them. He will be the light and he will be the life. John tells us that in the first chapter of his gospel. Now here is the great Melchizedek brought before us in these two persons with their two offices. What was Melchizedek? He was king of Salem, king of peace. He was a priest king. So that here the two offices before us in Zechariah, they are combined together in the person of Christ himself. He is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is 
The great Joshua, by the way, in the Old Testament, simply means the same as Jesus. He showed me Joshua, the type of Jesus, the great coming high priest. Zerubbabel represents the office of the king, the office of the governor. Now then, when we come back to Revelation 11, how are we to understand these two witnesses then? They are two uh, olive trees, they are two candlesticks, and they are two witnesses, or they are two prophets. What did Jesus tell his own disciples? And we remember these are his witnesses. They're not witnesses that have just taken it upon themselves to witness. They are appointed by him. They are my witnesses speaking in my name, by my authority, on my behalf. And it is because of me, not because of them, but it's because of me that the world is hostile to them. It's because they are my witnesses. What are they witnessing to? They are witnessing to the glorious Christ who is the fulfillment of these very symbols. Jesus himself, when he was sending out his disciples into the world, he told them uh, they would be his witnesses. You have that in Acts Chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples they were to tarry at Jerusalem until they would be endured with power from an eye. Verse 8 of Acts 1, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now you can't get a picture any more complete than that. Here's a universal witness. A witness for Christ. A witness on behalf of the enthroned Christ. Because John didn't think of him in any other way. He's been directed to the throne. So that, in reality, the witness that is hated by the world, stirred up by the satanic powers of hell, it is opposed to and tormented by the witness, the prophetic witness, on behalf of Christ's crown, his cross, and his crown, the cross of his priesthood, the crown of his royal kingship. That's what they uh, were against. We go back to the Psalm 2. And there it's as plain as plain can be. What was annoying, what was bothering, what was stirring up the hostility of the people uh, against God and against his anointed. 
verse 1 of Psalm 2. The question is, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why are they raging? Where would John go? If you were in John's situation, where would you go? If you were seeing all these scenes, these visions, where are you going to go to try and understand them? John sees, or hears rather, because it's the angel that tells them about these two witnesses. They're going to lie out in the street. They won't even be buried. Nobody uh, wants anything to do with them. They rejoice at their death. They are rejoicing. Why? Because the witness is silenced. The prophetic voice is silent. It's not so much that there's two dead bodies lying out in the street. We can ignore them. What they're rejoicing over is this. The tormenting message from God. That's what has stirred their hatred. They do not want uh, to have Christ reign over them. Why do the heathen rage? John's looking at them. And he has, why are they doing that? Why are they raging against these witnesses? Why do they hate them so much? It's because in verse 6 of Psalm 2, I have set my king upon my holy hill Zion. That's why. They do not want to acknowledge nor be required to acknowledge the glorious Christ. This is what John is being told is going to happen. John, you must write this to the seven churches. And throughout the universal church, let him that hath an ear hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What's the Spirit saying to the churches? There are dark days ahead when the witness of the gospel is going to be hated. And those who are the servants of God, the candlestick, what would John think to candlesticks? Would it not be natural for him just to turn back to what he has heard and seen at the very beginning of his vision, Revelation 1, the mystery, verse 20, of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest, are the seven churches. The candlesticks are the churches witnessing. But what's the significance of the two? You can go back uh, and you can uh, see, first of all, that they are uh, divinely appointed. We've mentioned that, they are, they're my witnesses, divinely appointed, but 
the fact that the symbolic figure of two is used is significant. If you, uh, for example, go to the book of Daniel and uh, chapter uh, 7, you will see there that uh, they are representative witnesses. The two represent more than that, than merely two persons. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 21, I beheld, uh, for the sake of time, the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. It is the same picture, without going into all the details, as John sees, but the war is against all the saints, made war with the saints, not just merely two. Uh, you can see again in chapter 8 of Daniel, verse 24, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Now you can connect it up if you wish to look at it. I'm not doing that for the sake of time. You can see further references to this in Daniel. The persecution under the fourth beast of the people of God as they bore witness uh, to God and his truth so that these two represent or the symbolic figure of two represent the whole church, the two candlesticks, the whole church witnessing on the side of truth. But also, if you look with me quickly to Ecclesiastes, there's another reason for the two in uh, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Solomon writes, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. And the significance then of the two is the supporting witness, the people of God tried and tested, but supporting one another in their witness for Christ in a dark day. Now, they also are the collaborating witnesses you can look it up for yourself. You know you've heard me mention it many times in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. No one was to die except before two or three witnesses. There had to be two witnesses before anyone was stoned to death. Now in the New Testament, Jesus said that still applied. And when we go to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, you have there the apostle saying, he that violated the law of God, the law of Moses, died under what? The witness of two witnesses. How much more than those that trample the blood of the covenant under their feet? Now, what is God doing here in these chapters? What's happening in chapter uh, 9 and 10 and 11? 
God is killing. The angels have released plagues and death and judgments. God has his witnesses because he's a just God. It was his law that was instituted and applied in the Old Testament. It is his law that he abides by. He doesn't break his own laws. And so the symbolic significance of the two witnesses is this. I am sending judgments. I am destroying men and my wrath. But they will be destroyed because... I am a just God with witnesses to their immorality, to their sin, to the rejection of the gospel, and so on. And you see again and again, God always works with twos. Moses and Aaron, Zerubbabel and Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. And you go to the New Testament, what do you have? Peter and John. Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas, twos. He sent the disciples out in twos. The significance of the two is important because it's directing us to the fact that God is a God of justice. And John was seeing this. The witnesses are God's witnesses. Because he's a just God and he's sending judgments. But he has his witnesses that that judgment is just. But we shall leave it there. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. Most holy and eternal God, we give thee thanks. We have thy word. However dark the day, we are not left in ignorance. Thou hast given us thy truth. And may we be unashamedly witnessing on its side in our day. Bless us now as we sing thy praise and conclusion. Accept of us and pardon us for Christ's sake. Amen.